Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. 
head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to rethink the pushing stage. It is extremely common for pushing stages to be managed with laboring people reclining on their backs and being told to grab behind their knees and pull them open toward their ears while tucking their chins and holding their breath for a count of 10. Is this really the best way? Does it support physiology? And what effects does it have on the baby and on the perineum that's receiving the brunt of that exertion? The fabulous Wapio is here to tell us more. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and your feedback, requests, ratings, reviews, and just your general support. If what you hear is helpful, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. So today's renewed episode is with one of my all-time favorite birth persons. And the image that comes to my mind when I think of her is of a wise woman. She combines evidence-based information and science with experience and heart to bring forth so much good knowledge into the world. And the birthing world is definitely much richer by having her in it. This I'm talking about Wapio, who has been involved in the realms of birth for over 30 years, and she served as an independent midwife until 2001 when she retired from active practice and founded the Matrona, which is a repository of the birth wisdom that she and her team share through various programs for midwives, doulas, and other birthing caregivers in the facilitating of the transformative event that is birth and creation of family, because it's that deep, right? Like it has meaning. So uh, if you love this episode, make sure you go back and listen to the two-part series we did before this one, way before, um, on the holistic stages of birth. Let's first do this, rethinking the pushing stage. Here we go. Welcome, Wapio. It's always a delight to speak with you. Oh, thank you. Same here. Um, I really appreciate being here. I'm very honored. Yay. And this is since I last spoke to you. Um, we know, I know that we touched a little bit upon the, the not necessarily pushing, you know, like vol- letting physiology take over and physiology push, right? But not the body, you, you know, the mom in actively pushing during when we talked about the holistic stages of birth. Mm-hmm. But, right. And that was a couple, you know, almost two, a year and a half ago. And since then, some articles have come up showing research that you, if you don't, if you're not told to push and not expected and you do your own thing, then you have better outcomes. And And I've seen it more within my practice because I've tried to pay attention <laughs> to this. Because mm-hmm. for me personally, pushing was always the not fun stage, right? I It's like, ah, now we're doing this. It's like trudge, 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 exhaust the mom and then a baby is born. Because usually it was based on directed pushing. So the idea, this new idea, new old idea of pushing was fascinating to me. So I'm happy to have you here so we can dig deep into what that not pushing all means. Okay. I'm happy to talk to that because I feel this is one of the areas of our modern birthing practices that really needs reform. 
and undergirding the reform, of course, is looking at the physiology and making sure that we are understanding physiology for the modern woman, okay? And how that has, the physiology of the body hasn't changed, but how we employ that physiology has changed from uh, years ago when women were put in beds, okay, Uh, and uh, were really basically their birthing experience was sort of commanded of them. Today, our modern women are, you know, wanting to be out of the beds, wanting to be more proactive, wanting to uh, be part of their birth and feeling like their birth is something they're doing rather than something done to them. So let's take another look at physiology with that in mind, um, applying it to uh, the modern woman and the birthing practices of today. Love it. Yes, let's do that. So looking at physiology, what happens, we've, we've sort of always thought of that pushing stage of like from, from when you're 10 to baby is born. Um, what happens physiologically to mom and baby as the cervix, you know, approaches full dilation and what needs to happen between that and, and when baby comes out? Okay, so here we go with some physiology because I love this and physiology will set you free. All right. So. Um, what we're what we're used to in common practice is that we have divided labor into uh, three stages: first, second, third, even like a little fourth stage in the postpartum. But we're very familiar with first stage, which is the dilation and effacement of the cervix from you know fingertip to ten centimeters. We say, and then what we do is after uh, a woman is uh, said to be at ten centimeters, usually through a vaginal exam, lo and behold, now we're ready to engage second stage, and we call that pushing. But there's a whole um, body of physiologic wisdom and knowledge that is right in this place between first and second stage. There's a stage of labor that we're missing, all right? Because the woman does not go, generally speaking, uh, from 10 centimeters dilated where basically you can't feel her cervix to ready to push. It's just not physiologically um, engine. The body's not engineered that way. All right. So let me explain. We have to look at the idea of full dilation, meaning that you can't feel the cervix, but it doesn't mean that the entire lower uterine segment has been pulled up appropriately into the upper uterine segment, thereby completely clearing the path for the baby to be born. We're not talking about this. We don't have an understanding of it. And let me just say, we, we, we do want to reform second stage, but it's nobody's fault. We're not pointing a finger here at caregivers or nurses or doctors or anything like that. What we're really saying is that the knowledge and, um, you know, collected experience from years ago that when we didn't feel a cervix, we told the woman to push, um, has just been passed down. It's just been handed down. It's what caregivers are taught. If you can't feel the cervix, she's ready to push. All right? So that's why we do this. All right, because it's, nobody has revisited the actual physiology. So now, back to the physiology. When a woman is 10 centimeters dilated, we, we say that meaning uh, we can't feel her cervix. 
But there's no way, I'm repeating myself, there's no way that you can tell, all right, uh, through an exam, that uh, the entire lower uterine segment and the cervix with it is pulled up above the baby's head. You see, the only way to know that is, generally speaking, when a mother instinctively feels like pushing. So here's a big disconnect. Managed pushing, in other words, we don't feel the cervix anymore, so why don't you push your baby? Versus instinctual or what we're also calling physiologic pushing. But let's really be clear about what physiologic pushing is. It's instinctual. It's when a mother has the instinct and the urge to push rather than being directed to push. All right? So what you're going to see and what, you know, what I have seen, and of course a lot of my, most of my experience has been with moms in home births who basically were not confined to beds nor wanted to be and had the option of allowing their instinctual responses to come forth and be, uh, and be valued. So what's going on here now too is that when the cervix is completely dilated in the sense that we can't feel it dilating anymore, in other words, it's opened to probably the widest place that it needs to open. It's almost like a crowning, the way the perineum later on opens to the widest place, and we call that the baby, the baby's head crowning. There's also an interior crowning when the cervix has opened as wide as it can over the baby's head, but then the rest of the lower uterine segment needs to be pulled up completely. And during this time, you'll notice what's going on here. If you're watching, you will see that the character of the labor changes. You will see that the fury of transition, if you will, quiets down the mother seems to go into a very trance-like place. The labor doesn't completely stop. All right, doesn't stop, but it definitely slows down, almost like it was when it was first getting started. Sometimes contractions are only 30 seconds long, and they're 5 or 10 minutes apart even. And I call this place the quietude. Why? Because... If you're if you're with a birthing mother and this happens, you become very aware, very aware that there's a change in the labor and that everything has quieted down. What's happening now? Two things that are important physiologically in order to bring the baby forth. One of them is that classic cardinal movement of labor we call internal rotation. What is internally rotating? The baby's head. The baby's head is rotating from the uh, 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 lateral, okay, or the oblique into the AP, the anterior-posterior. In other words, the baby's head is now aligning with the opening birth canal. And I'm going to interrupt okay. you there for a second because I think like this was one big revelation to me at one point, right? When I understood very basic physiology of the pelvis, that the 
top, the, the entrance of the pelvis is wider side to side at the top. So for the head to go in that way, it's got to be looking like side to high side to like, you know, facing, aligning with hip to hip. And then yes. at the outlet of the pelvis, the bottom, it's wider front to back. So somewhere along the way, baby has to go from looking hip to hip to looking, you know, front to back. And that that's that internal rotation, right? Of like, wait, this is how it's bigger on this side over here and it's bigger, you know, later on this way. So you've got a corkscrew somewhere in between. Absolutely. Uh, you've just impinged on that mechanism of uh, or that movement of the baby, all right, uh, called internal rotation. And very clearly, it makes so much sense if you, uh, you don't even have to have an engineering degree to realize that from side to side versus from uh, anterior to posterior, there has to be some way that the baby's head all right, turns from side to side to anterior, posterior to be born. And that's the place. This right here is the place where we jump the gun, where we think, oh, there's no cervix. So let's go ahead and push. And we'll, now, now, modern medicine understands that the head does rotate. But the idea is here, and I'm not sure it's a good one, is that if we push, we'll make the head rotate faster. Okay, you see what I mean? If we put some downward pressure, we'll force the head to rotate. Mm -hmm. And that's considered then the um, justification, if you will, for pushing. All right, for pushing when you can't feel the cervix anymore because we're just going to assist the baby's head to rotate. My feeling is this. If you are pushing while the baby's trying to rotate, hmm, well, simple engineering, something is trying to rotate without friction, and, but you're pushing from above, there's going to be friction, okay? Friction on the baby's head between the mother's bones and also, what can happen, consider this, that if you, if you are pushing from above while something is a, like a ball bearing, as it were, was trying to rotate um, gracefully, uh, what you may end up doing is cramming it in there. Okay? So, the idea of pushing too soon, let's, let's dispel that idea right away. There is no hurry in pushing whatsoever. What is the hurry? All right. The hurry, I think, is more for convenience rather than for well-being for the mother and the baby. All right. If a mother is relaxing during her labor at any point, which she clearly does in this time that we just mentioned where internal rotation will take place. All right. Why, don't, why would we disturb her? Her baby's not going to stay in there forever. Why wouldn't we give her a little rest, a little respite? Yeah, absolutely. Give her a little rest. Take a little break. And how about we do that, too? Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with this fascinating conversation. This is so fascinating to me. We'll be right back. And we're back. So, Wapio, we were talking about why wouldn't we give the birthing person a little rest when, in fact, physiology and her body are giving her that chance. But also, let's give her that rest, understanding that she's going to need a lot of energy in a little bit. You see, 
Yes. And labor takes care of you. Your body takes care of you. Your body would never assume that you would go into the, the, from the fury of, of the contractions of transition to all of a sudden now the effort of pushing your baby out. Okay? No. Your body has a, a wisdom and a sense to it where there's a resting period there, a quietude. So let's dispel this idea of checking and saying the baby is, uh, the cervix is 10 centimeters, let's push. That is basically um, a tricky, a, a, a tricky thing. All right. Because you have no idea as a caregiver where the lower uterine segment is. And if a mother hasn't had her quietude, chances are the baby hasn't rotated, so you're pushing a non-rotated baby. And I just explained why that would not be a good thing, friction, etc. Mm-hmm. All right? So what should we do? What should we do? Well, we, obviously, let's add this other stage of labor so that people understand, oh, she's in her quietude. Oh, she's laboring down. Oh, she's fine. Oh, no, her labor hasn't stalled. No, leave her alone. Let her rest. She'll be back. And she will. Mm-hmm. All right? She'll be back in a half hour, maybe an hour. All right? Galvanized, electrified, ready to push because she's had some resting and her baby is hooked up. Her baby is facing the right way. She is ready to push. There's nothing holding the baby back. And pushing will instinctively begin. Mm-hmm. All right. So we said that there were two things that happened in the quietude. All right. One of them is that oh, there's a relaxation for the mother. She can get her, uh, she can catch her breath, take a much needed rest. All right. Have a moment. In fact, have a divine moment, if you will. All right, this is a time in labor that, that we're, we're talking physiology, but I'm also going to add a little bit of the psyche and the psychology here. This is also a time when a mother uh, gets her wits about her. She's no longer flailing with the contractions of, of transition. She's, gets, she comes to a place of peace. And in that peace, oftentimes we have moments of revelation, moments of profound depth and meaning, all right, if we do. All right, so this is also part of the, the whole um, idea of the quietude in a labor. And then, all right, so she has a rest, the baby's head turns, and now we are in position for the baby to be born. She'll come back. She'll wake up, she'll come back, she'll open her eyes, she'll be galvanized, she'll be like something's different. Oftentimes, she will want to get up. This is when I'm seeing uh, women who may very well in their quietude be lounging on the couch or head back or taking a little snooze or leaning against someone. All of a sudden now, when she feels everything in alignment, the baby's head is rotated She's rejuvenated. She's had her moment. Boom. She's up. All right. And being up. now, And there's no way. I'm going to talk about this in a bit. Uh, There's no way we can't do this in a hospital. 
All right. I know that I'm I'm drawing off my experience at home, but I'm here to tell you there's no way that we can. There's a, a way to do this in a hospital, and I'll go into that later. All right. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile. What's happening now is that her instinctual responses, all right, her instinctual responses to this labor, all right, and this alignment are also in alignment, and she will push. Generally speaking, um, we think about pushing as, you know, Take a deep breath. Put your chin on your chest and exert the maximum allowable torquage, okay? Well, I count <laughs> to, to ten and you grab the back of your knees and bring them to your ears. <laughs> this is heroics and it's absolutely not necessary. It's not good for babies, okay? It's not good for babies. It's not good for mothers. Uh, and I feel very strongly that we should attempt to stop this kind of pushing at, at all costs, mm-hmm. all right? Um, what you're going to see is that a woman who is instinctively pushing usually doesn't have that histronic type of pushing uh, very much. Maybe at the end she'll, you'll notice some kind of a, 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 a surge in her pushing in the, in the sense that this is birthing a baby. But what's happening now is that the baby is coming down. Now, remember, you know how we talk about the fetal position? Your head is flexed. It's the smallest package you can be. That's not how a baby's born. When that head, okay, after that head has rotated and she's gone through her quietude, now what the uterus is doing is beginning to push the baby from above and extend the head. Babies are born through the mechanism of extension, not flexion. So wait a minute. Wait wait a minute. Back up. When we are pushing a baby at 10 centimeters dilated without the head rotating, we are pushing a baby down in flexion. We're pushing a flexed baby down. No, 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 no. This is not physiology. Physiology pushes a baby down and allows the head to extend, you see? And the only way the head can do that is to have a clear passage in front of it, meaning that the head is now in the anterior posterior, not sideways or oblique. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So I'm going to... Oh, see? I'm going to repeat it back to you to make sure we get it, right? So with the flexion, it's the chin, baby's chin is tucked to his or her chest so that the smallest part of the head, the the crown, presents first to, you know, create the less mass possible, right? Present the smallest part to get through the first part. But then once the head rotates and to navigate that curve between the pubic bone and the tailbone, it needs to extend the neck. So like that chin goes up and the head kind of tilts back. And then that's the position that they go in to be born. Yes. You see? All right. So that whole mechanism is happening during this stage of labor that we haven't described yet called the quietude, or what you can do also is add two stages of second stage. One of them 
is extension, the baby coming down. And the other one is pushing. All right? You're going to find that um, organically speaking, very few women need to push their baby down to the perineum. The uterus does that remarkably and adequately. I want to remind you and everyone listening of something that we don't talk about very much because we have this idea that a woman who's having an epidural will really have a very, very, very hard time getting her baby to do all of this. Wait a minute. You know, they have known this for years and years, back in the 40s and 50s, that the people, the women who have the easiest births are two groups, one cardiac patients with class three and four heart disease and they have the easiest births in town why because they're not allowed to have any kind of histronics they're not allowed to push period and you would think well the poor women they all have c-sections right or they have that you know they have vacuum extractions or or they're manipulated births no their babies just ooze out And this is common knowledge. And the other group of women who have similar births where babies ooze out are another group of women who cannot push, and they are quadriplegic or paraplegic women. Paraplegic women have very little trouble giving birth. Why? Because their uterus isn't paralyzed, and their uterus can birth their baby very adequately Mm -hmm. so if you take that information and you translate it somehow into well could this be the same for everyone I mean just because is it just because you have a heart condition or your parapet can't push does that mean your birth is automatically easier no this is for everyone okay it is totally possible to have a what we would call spontaneous second stage. And to me, this is what a relief, right? Because I find that we've like we've taken birth and we've gotten like it becomes this mile post of like, I've got to get to ten. And when I get to ten, then I push. And then everybody's just waiting to get to ten, where that's really just like not a big deal. It's just one more step in the process. What you really need to get to is to have a baby. So in between, you don't need to, you know, delineate it and put a boundary there and erect a wall between one and the other that you have to jump over. It's just one more step and keep flowing with it. And what Mm -hmm. a relief that you don't have to like, am I going to know if I how to push? Am I going to be able to do it? Uh, do, will I have enough energy to push? Can I? Will I know when it is happening? Like, just know that. Oh, actually, I don't need to push. My uterus and my my baby will rotate and move as needed. My uterus will exert enough f- the for the exact force that is needed because it is there touching the baby and can realize how much force is needed without me having to be involved here until I can't but push, which is a very different sensation. But then, because we're seeing all of these, you know, we're, all of these pelvic floor dysfunctions and all of these babies that come out with like head 
cranks and 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 effects of breastfeeding when they're they prefer one side or the other and and their tissues are a little bit off and you know why is that happening and i can't but and this is just me spec not speculating but like doing an educated guess of all that force that we're putting on baby's head against mom's perineum when they're not ready like we're cramming things in that that has to have a ripple effect somewhere down the line yeah it does and um you you know you're you're right it does cause these gynecologic problems and the structural problems in in women gynecologists are often saying to obstetricians what are you guys doing <laughs> You know, why are we seeing such an increase in cystoceles, rectoceles, prolapse, and various, you know, huge tears and dysfunction? And um, also, look at the baby. We are seeing an increase in fetal distress. Well, doesn't that make sense? Pushing a baby that's not ready to come Forcing a baby to turn its head, like grinding with friction and crinking the neck, don't you think that has some sequela in terms of fetal distress? Yeah, um, this is why I feel like second stage needs reform. I mean, serious reform, not just a new approach, reform. Yeah. Why? Because women, their bottoms are being damaged and babies are um, C-sectioned because of fetal distress. Oftentimes that is ironically and unfortunately caused by the practices, okay? Caused by the the caregiver practices. Right. And babies being, you know, quote unquote, stuck during pushing, after three hours of pushing, right? See, yeah. Because you they're know, still up um, high. They started pushing they're up not ready one. to be yeah. pushed. You right? see, they haven't rotated. And then, and possibly, I mean, normally speaking, rotation happens. If you have to wait for it, you wait for it. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you want if Generally speaking, a mother will have a longer quietude. She may have an hour or two hour quietude waiting for her baby to rotate. All right. We do not need to forcibly rotate baby's heads. Now, the the concern here is that that does not particularly mesh with our birthing practices today because a lot of people are not willing to wait a couple of hours even for a head to rotate when we can just push. All right, when we can just push and force the head to rotate, and then if it, it gets stuck, we can always, you know, put use instrumentation to, to fix it, okay? Now, I know that doesn't happen in every single case, but you can see the sequela of forced pushing when, when the head is not in the AP and the mother is not instinctively engaging pushing, She's forcing it. Yeah. See? And she's getting exhausted. So, that she's spent, you oh, know, there if, I, you go. if you spend three hours pushing or two hours pushing or one hour pushing, like all out with all your might, holding your breath and like exerting yourself, your baby's going to be born, but you're an exhausted mother. Like, that's a right. tough place to meet your baby. 
Yes, it is. It's on a, on a battleground. Mm. You know? I mean, come on. Uh, this is why I use the word reform. Yes. And not just approach. Okay. Um, and listen, I, I promise you, I am not telling you anything that isn't undergirded by physiology. I have the charts, the bells, the whistles, the books to prove it. You see? Well, and, and, and the medical providers know this too. Like they somehow, they, they learn it, but then they don't connect the dots. I find. Well, yes, because you will see in any textbook that the most efficient dilator of a cervix is an intact bag of waters. Mm. Everyone knows that. Everyone reads it, okay, in medical school or nursing school, but that's not how we practice. So I feel that um, we, we, once again, we need to take a new look at physiology and there are some souls out there, some nurses and midwives and doctors who are trying to do that, who really are um, open to a more physiologic approach or uh, basically an undisturbed approach. Maybe from the, from the point of women, it might be called undisturbed. From the point of the medical model, it's physiology because we just can't leave women alone, but we can leave them to their physiology. So that's a good word, all right? Um, and I, to me, they mean the same thing, an undisturbed approach versus, and a physiologic approach versus managed or directed care. Mm-hmm. All well, right, we'll, now. We hold ahead. that thought because we're going to take a break. And we'll be right back and and we'll continue. And then we have scenarios and I have more questions for you. We'll be right back. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. 
which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And we are back talking about physiological stage of like this new reform of the pushing stage. I'm so excited. I love yeah. that. I love it. Let's reform it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I think we have covered some uh, physiology, all right, in the sense that um, if we look at the way the baby moves down through the uh, pelvis and birth canal and the idea of rotating the head and different positions that the baby be- be- comes into – and then putting that together with what's happening with a mother in labor, all right, whether she's dilating, whether she's in transition, whether she's having a resting period for the rotation, or whether she is now engaged, all right, in what we would call a second stage, meaning uh, the baby is coming. And I like the British model. The British model has been around for a long time, actually. In the British model, there are two stages of second stage, just like there are two stages of first stage. One of them is latent, and one of them is active. And latent second stage is that point from where the head has rotated. Now, all right, the quiet is over. Uh, And the uterus begins to push from above, extending the head and bringing the baby down to the perineum. That actually is second stage latent. Why? Because usually the mother is not pushing. All right. Here's something. And, and, you know, if we do not employ common sense, well, we've lost our way if we have no common sense in our practices. So... I put it to you, in um, the British model, pushing begins when you can see the baby's head. Aha. You can, you can see the baby's head. Now, common sense dictates that if the baby's head is not there, there may not be a value to forcing it down there. But when the baby's head is there, well, the baby's here. Let's push. Okay. If there were to be any pushing at all, my experience is that um, we wouldn't do that unless we could see the baby's head. All right? Now, to me, that makes so much sense. The baby is there. And generally speaking, when you see the baby's head, 
all right, you know that extension is complete, that the baby knows where it's going, that the baby has their wits about them, and that birth is imminent. See? So engaging this common sense, first of all, by rethinking second stage into two stages, latent and active. Latent, the uterus is bringing the baby down. We would call that extension. And active, the baby is here. So we're calling this one pushing and birth. Now, who's pushing when, where, what, and why? Oftentimes, when um, a mother, it, when her baby is there at the perineum, and I don't mean like on the perineum coming out, all right? I mean, I'm sure you know what I mean when I say sometimes when um, a woman is pushing, you can see that uh, as her vulva opens, that there's no baby there, versus you can see that the baby's right there, Right? Yeah, yeah, when you see like, what like, I mean. like a dime size bit of hair. Yes. Like yeah, because that. the baby's yeah. down. The baby's yeah. there. That's what I'm saying, okay? Um, let me give you another piece of physiology right here. When you can see the baby's head, even a little bit, I mean, you know, you know it's there. You know that the uterus has successfully navigated that large body part past the transcervical ligament that holds the uterus in place. Okay. Can you imagine that um, the baby is, is not coming down, you know, like a, like a shoot. All right. That's uh, it's coming down through bone, muscle, tissue, ligaments, and um, there are ligaments down uh, that surround the, the vaginal tube, if you will. And the uterus knows how to bring the baby down through the mother's pelvis without disrupting organs, tendons, muscles, and ligaments. Okay? And therefore, pushing and heroic pushing in which we barrel a baby down the vaginal canal has no regard for the other structures that are adjacent to the vaginal canal. There is a transcervical ligament that holds the, the uh, uterus up. And if we push and push and push with the baby still above that ligament, we are dragging it down. We can actually tear the ligaments. You see? But once the baby's head is visible, you know that the uterus has successfully brought the baby under the transcervical ligament, all right, through that area. And now pushing would be even relevant. Mm -hmm. You see, that's another reason it is dangerous to push. If you, it's dangerous to push without a mother feeling the urge to push. And okay, we can talk in a bit. There are some women who never feel the urge to push. There are some women that I've worked with who've never really pushed. The baby did kind of ooze out. I mean, and that's not what I see all the time or even most of the time. I do see women give, uh, there is a, a pushing that is, you know, or organically authentic in, with a woman when she's birthing her baby. 
all right, when the head is visible and when she's birthing her baby. But very seldom uh, does a woman need to bring her baby down. The uterus is usually quite capable of doing that. It just dilated and, and is beginning to pull a cervix up. It just had a little rest, okay? And now it's back in action, pushing the baby from above rather than pulling the cervix from below there, you see? So it's an amazing feat of physiologic engineering. And if you see all the pieces of it that I'm trying to describe here, you it, it would so inform, mm. all right, your approach to pushing. You would so back off and realize I am not going I cannot be responsible for a woman's transcervical ligament. She will push when she feels like it. Mm -hmm. Then we'll know the baby's in the right position, the path is cleared. It's the ligaments are out of the way, and we're in readiness. Yeah. And I find that we might not be able to, you know, it's hard to describe all this through audio, right? Like, so go, people, go and, and, and do some, look at some anatomy and find the different parts and see what we're talking about, because that's super helpful um, to visualize it. But I find that during the birth, you may not be able to see these things, like, internally, but you can hear it and it's very different and there's different sounds of pushing like you might have a mom mm -hmm. that early on might be doing a little bit of grunting at the top of the contraction and it'll be like oh i'm breathing it through and they're like Ugh. but just the, just that right that's doing mm -hmm. its own thing like listening to but when that baby has gotten in the second stage of of pushing when the baby is at the perineum where the baby is right there usually moms like the sound is is like God, like you can't but push it's such a force because it's right there it's like God, you know yeah or big it's screams. not by choice mm -hmm. right it is yeah it's not uh i'm going to do this now it's more of being taken over by the sensation yes and your instincts will guide you a, a woman's instincts guide her i've seen this so many times in terms of what position will facilitate mm. this baby being born in in uh how she should move her body with the the baby and with the contractions um i've seen women get on their tiptoes i've seen women get on all fours i've seen women lean back i've seen women do all kinds of things which um in in the uh, general milieu would be a cause for alarm in the sense of uh, seeing a woman doing all of these things. And you're like, oh, my goodness, get her down in the bed. She will fall. She will hurt herself. She will hurt her baby. Mm -hmm. No, this is a woman instinctively moving and spiraling with her baby. And she's not even intellectually aware that she is taking these positions or moving in these ways. You see, yes. afterwards you'll tell her and she's like, oh, I don't, all I knew is I was birthing my baby. Yeah. <laughs> or know? they'll marvel. They're like, oh, I can't believe I was making those. Like I knew I was making those yeah. sounds, but I don't know. Like I, I didn't want, like I wasn't trying to make those sounds. It just, I was howling, you know? Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's, 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 
it's so tough to see because I see it like a mom that, like you say, she's arching back and extending her back and going back as she is having that urge and then have somebody tell them, no, curl around your baby, tuck your chin and curl. (laughs) And every fiber of her being is telling her, no, I got to extend back. And then you've also like, you've cut into that instinct you've demoralized her you've told her what she's doing is wrong and that she can't trust that you've disturbed the all of that and then now she's out of her internal deep process and then looking out for help and you hear i don't know what do i do what do i do yeah and these hormones start to die off Mm -hmm. Right. And then and then yes. and then she has to exert because now the uterus is not doing the strong movement. It's she has to do it with her like stretched out abdominals. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, the the ramifications for what you're talking about, you know what I mean, of taking a woman's a woman's power away from her right there. Mm. The ramifications of that are legion. OK, they extend into parenting. Uh, breastfeeding, uh, clearly uh, healing in the postpartum of the the psyche. Um, it, it's it, it's so ironic because because I know that that's the last thing that we really want to do. We want to uh, inspire women to be empowered. Yet once again, taking uh, assuming as a caregiver that that you your your ideas trump a woman's instincts all right Mm. that is a very dangerous place for us to be in terms of bringing forth life on this planet that imprints bringing forth life on the planet that someone's intellect gets the has the ability to uh impinge on a woman's uh, instinctual responses and it's the setup. You see what yeah. I mean? The setup so, for all of it. So because we're in this trying to reform, but most likely there's still, you know, this, this the undercurrent is of directed pushing. And that's where people feel that that's how what works for getting a baby out. Not right. just because that's what we're doing. We're doing what we're doing, right? So I want the listeners to hear, and this I have seen in the past, you know, since we've last spoken and and in a different, changing a little bit of, of how I communicate with my clients and talking about this and it's up to them to take it over. So the first thing I find listeners need to know is that there isn't that distinction between the one stage and the other, like they all flow into each other seamlessly so that mm-hmm. they don't need somebody to check them to see if they're fully dilated and give permission to push like that they know and so if they continue doing what they're doing and birthing as they're birthing and not you know you know letting themselves let their body do the flow and go with that and not push until they have to push like have that non-issue about pushing then what i've seen is because a lot of the providers or a lot of the like the medical community in general of how we're doing things they don't believe that you can actually have a baby without pushing 
in in the tradition in in their directed sense, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that's not just gonna oops happen. That that requires a lot of energy and force and 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 help management. Yes, yeah. and management. Mm-hmm. So what happens is the laboring person goes about and they get to you know they ha- they're in that intensity of transition and then the pattern changes and they get the quietude and they know that this is happening and they're like okay we just keep on labor you know we just keep on keeping on the goal is baby not 10 and then they get their calm and then they get oh and and then they can feel because nobody's telling them from outside so they can feel their body and they can go like oh that feels different or they'll be in their contractions laboring and then they'll look up at me and go like oh baby just really moved like they can feel the rotation they can feel the extension because they're not pressing into it right yes this is right so many women have said i feel my baby coming down yeah and they're like oh that was a bit oh that's much lower like they feel the change and they're like great just you're doing fabulous just do it and then they they're like oh baby's right there you run out to get the care provider. The care provider has to check, right? So they go and check and they can't insert more than like half an inch because baby is right there, right on the perineum. And then they go, oh my goodness, baby is right there. You are amazing. Look at you. You are marvelous. Baby's going to hear be here any minute. And baby comes, baby goes to mom's chest. And then the nurse and the doctor and the whoever's there, they're all in awe of this woman. Telling mm-hmm. her, "How look what you've done. Look at you how amazing you are." Cuz they do. They're they have their their minds have been blown that this could have happened. Right. And that's yes. how she, that's what she's hearing as she becomes a mother, as opposed to, st- let's start pushing and would start pushing. And then, you know, the care provider's there and, you know, knowing that it's going to take several hours, they take their gloves off and they walk out of the room. Mm-hmm. And the mom's like, oh, I must be doing something wrong because this is not happening. Like, I'm pushing, but obviously it's not happening. And it's like, no, this is how labor is. It just takes time. And it's... It's a very different experience mm-hmm. for the mom. She, you yes, know? absolutely. It's totally different. I totally agree. All right. It, it, when, when a mother feels her baby coming down, it's exciting. I'm back. I'm going to birth a baby versus that trudging your way through to get the baby to inch on down and and let's push a little harder this time and let's make it to 12 instead of to 10. You see what I'm saying? It's not it's it's not her battlefield heroics. Mm-hmm. It's it's an exciting adventure and a journey toward toward landing a baby on this planet. And the difference in how I'm describing it is the difference in how a mother feels about it. Mm-hmm. All right. As, as your listeners listen to you and I talk about the two different ways, you, you, you have a body feeling about that, right? You, you feel it in your body that there's a difference in how you end up after your birth. All right. Whether you feel empowered or whether you feel disempowered actually knowing 
that there was something else, that there was something I missed, or knowing even that I should have listened to myself. How many times have we done that? You, you know, I should have listened. I knew what I was doing was right. I should have listened. I should have said no. I should have chosen something else, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. this is what we, you know, this is this is what this is what needs healing in the postpartum. All so right? much healing. And so- I feel like um you you speak a lot to doulas, okay? And I feel like this postpartum, I call it the postpartum psyche, <laughs> is clearly the province of the doula, all right? Because many women even don't want to lay that at the feet of their caregiver, okay? Because, you know, they love their caregiver or they don't or whatever, but they're, they're not going to engage the dialogue, but they will with their doula, you see? So... Uh, I feel like uh, be ready for this because because years ago, all right, women were very happy to comply. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you were you were brought in. You didn't really know much about labor before the internet and videos and YouTube. You, you know, you had an idea about how things are going to unfold, but you know. And so, basically, if you're walking into the unknown, you you tend to comply with those in the room who have the most knowledge and experience. Today's woman knows all about labor. She has watched it occur uh, with women singing through it, with women crying, with pushing, with non-pushing, with bleeding, with, with breach birth, et cetera, et cetera. Today's woman cannot, you know, is not going into birth for the most part, all right, um, without realizing what's going on, okay? So... Today's woman is less likely to want to comply with things that um, don't seem to make sense, all right, or something that, that is going against their intuition or their intuitive responses. Women are less likely now to want to comply. Many women do because there's a, a very large program running, okay, of compliance, all right, but many women are, are you know, uh, uh, that the collar's too tight. No, no, no. Mm. Uh, they're rebelling against that. And there's so. also many, many, like, many ways that women come into birth. Like, some might just comply out of fear. Some might comply. Like, there's, like, that's a whole different, enormous mm-hmm. topic of why you birth the way you do. But I think right. having that look back into physiology that tells you look this is just like you don't you know how to eat and you digest and you're not monitoring every second from the moment the food went into your mouth and how long you chewed and how long it went down the esophagus and the stomach and and when you pooped right you know that's a physiological process you you i think understanding it brings the trust back to you to your yeah your body and and then that you can you know if not you your mind you your body can do this and nobody has to teach you how to pick up a fork what you see what i mean no one has to say you need to apply this much pressure between your two fingers to pick up a pork. And if you apply too much it will fly into the sky and if you apply too much little you won't be able to do it I make that same distinction with pushing. 
Mm-hmm. It's a physiologic process that your body knows how to do. You can't teach pushing, mm. all right, any more than you would need to teach a woman how to pick up a glass. Yeah. So, Wapio, let me walk you through three quick scenarios or, or sure. that are very common, and I just want your like what your thoughts on this to how to how to integrate physiology with this. Um, okay. So, scenario one: you've got a person in transition feeling that urge to push, like the the beginning, right? Feeling some pressure. Not that I can't butt push, but that like oh, oh feeling some put some uh, doing some grunting, and has a vaginal check and find that there's a bit of a cervical lip left that the cervix is not all gone. But the provider suggests that with the next contraction, the mom give a little push while they hold down and move that cervix back and out of the way and that if it stays out then she can start pushing okay that's the scenario so now mom is most likely on her back because she was just checked and is on her back and that cervix got manually moved made into 10 fully dilated and now she's pushing and yes, she's usually pushing because the caregiver may say, okay, now we've got to keep pushing so the cervix doesn't come back, all right, and slip over the baby's head. So let's just keep pushing. Okay, so um, some current thought is that we are actually diagnosing a lip when there is not a lip, when it is simply the uh, cervix still not normally being pulled up. It's not a pathology. A lip means that a piece of the cervix, the anterior cervix, gets caught between the head and the pubic bone and begins to swell. Unless you're feeling something like that, you're just simply still feeling a woman at nine centimeters. Okay? But we have this idea now that, um, oh, that's a lip. There's a lip there. We need to fix that. No, we don't. Or if we do, the the obvious solution is tincture of time, Mm -hmm. okay? Because time will pull that up, all right? A pathological, a real lip is pathological, does require intervention. It is because a piece of the cervix is becoming swollen. And so what you'll see is many caregivers saying, well, we don't want that to happen. All right. Well, they're actually feeling nine centimeters. And you say, well, you might say, well, what about the the back is completely dilated? Oh, but that's what happens. The posterior part of the cervix and lower uterine segment always, well, nothing always happens, but generally happens is that it dilates first. And fastest. Why? Because it has a longer way to go. You're right. Get those anatomy charts. You can see it. You can see exactly what I'm talking about. So oftentimes what we see as a, as a diagnosis of a lip is really just a cervix that has not completely dilated more time, different positions. Okay? A lip usually hurts. Mm. A lip is a pinching. Be right down there. A woman can point to it and feel it. It's the pubic bone because it's the pubic bone and the baby's head pinching the cervix. So if the mother, and that's like, ow, ow, ow. And you know, labor isn't usually ow. Mm -hmm. Labor is more like, oh, oh, that kind of thing. But a lip pinching, yes. 
So if a mother isn't feeling any pinching pain, I would sincerely doubt that she has a lip. All right? So one, to dispel the fact that maybe there's a misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. Number two, if a, uh, if, if a woman has been like that for hours and hours and hours, well, okay, in my experience, we would get a, a woman, you know, if a woman had, seems like she's been at nine for a long, long time or something like that, what are we going to do? A move, change positions, put her in the tub, do different things, let her lean back. I remember I did work with a woman one time who did have, who was kind of working on a lip, all right? And the best medicine for her was to sit in a birthing pool and just relax, float, okay? Float the baby off the lip, float the lip. Uh, do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just sit laying down kind of in her birthing pool, all right? And um, works beautifully. So techniques to get the baby off the lip, that's a different discussion, okay? Because if it is a true lip, uh, well, we don't want to keep that pressure on the, we don't want the baby's head on the cervix anymore. Right. So beep, 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 we're going to back the baby up. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> okay. So doulas know this. All right. So any mother who has been diagnosed with a lip uh, and it's not hurting, once again, I, I, uh, I feel like there might be a misunderstanding of what a lip is. And that woman should have every right then to work with position, work with water, work with uh, her doula, uh, different, you know, different things like mm-hmm. that, that we can always discuss at another time. Yeah. And I feel okay. like that, and that it's like, well, the, the, she's starting to feel the urge to push. And it's that thought of like, you can't push if you're ten, not 10. So I found this lit, or I found this bit of cervix, but I can push it out of the way. So you can now I'm giving you permission to push, but. We know, you know, like that's just the opening just kind of was forced, but the head is probably not out of that lower uterine segment. Mm -mm, So it's that, oh, let's keep pushing. Maybe you say, well, I want to go pee first or something to get you off off the bed and get you like, I don't have to like to interrupt that pushing right now um, thing so that then you can give yourself time. You can create change in time. Right. Other scenario, mom is now pushing and she wants to get into different positions, but the care provider has the fingers in her vagina to evaluate the effectiveness of her pushing to, you know, because we got to make sure you're pushing right. Um, And then I find often then she's slowly coaxed to get on her back. And there's this idea that the head needs to get under the pelvic bone. The head needs to get under the pelvic bone. And the, the best way to do that is on your back. What? What does that mean? Like, does the head need to get under the pelvic bone and the best way is by being on her back? Uh, no, I think all midwives know this. I think all midwives know that the worst, that, 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 that if you're on your back, the head has to rise up, okay, has to actually go up. The uterus has to push so much harder to push the head up through the curve of the sacrum to navigate past the pubic bone. The best way to do that is to work with gravity and for a woman to be in an upright position, actually not even in the bed. Actually standing will be the most efficient way to get the baby down. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're not really talking about the baby under the pubic bone because the uterus is going to do that. That's the only way to go. All right. It, it, and um, so, so first of all, uh, any woman who is feeling like, oh, I can't get my baby down, 
is in the wrong possibly in the wrong position and Mm -hmm. not and and on her back is only going to exacerbate that Mm -hmm. Uh, she should say I want to be upright I want to be off the bed I'm sitting on my baby's head no wonder the baby can't come down okay Mm -hmm. and the other thing is also um, I think it would behoove all women to know this and and for caregivers to know it too because I've met very few midwives actually who know this. Uterine contractions during the pushing stage come in sets, like the ocean. The ocean, if you've ever been out in the rollers out there, you'll notice that the the ocean moves in sets. You have a wave, a wave, a wave, and then sometimes you can feel something building, and then next thing you know, it's a big one. Okay, and then you start again. You have a wave and a wave. Do you know what I'm talking about, about just things and sets like that? That is exactly what the uterus does. It has a, a, a contraction and then another one and then another one. And then all of a sudden you can feel the tension building and then there's a big one. And that's where the baby makes progress. It is a misunderstanding of physiology to assume that the baby should make progress with every contraction. The body is not designed to do that, and I can give you a very good physiologic reason why, and that is because those rugae, those accordion pleats in the, uh, the area of the vagina, all right, need to be gently coaxed to open. So that first moderate contraction, that second moderate contraction, that third one are are gradually opening, opening those rugae so that the next contraction, the one that's the big one, will bring the baby down a little more. And then we do it again and we do it again, thereby protecting a mother's body. There's no need to sacrifice a woman's body for hasty a hasty delivery all right mm-hmm. and um the only time i i feel like that the hasty delivery might even be in order is if you're concerned with the baby and i feel this uh i feel like we have a love affair with fetal distress in the united states uh i personally at home i don't ever see it okay in all my births i've only you know seen one case of fetal distress I feel like a lot of the fetal distress is induced by pushing malposition of the mother, resulting in malposition of the baby and the baby's head. So, I, you know, I mean, we've said all of this, okay? Um, So what I'm thinking is that uh, we can just take it slow and understand that directed pushing is really not valuable in any way. Well, I'm not going to say in any way. It's not valuable because the uterus has no intention of making progress with every single contraction. Mm -hmm. I love that. Oh, that is so good. Okay, here's the last scenario and we're done. (laughs) Quick scenario. I want to talk with you like for days on end. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) As the baby is crowning, moms are very much often you told, don't push or just give a little grunt or a little pants, like just take it really easy so that baby oozes out. Like, is that really helpful? Do you do you see 
that happening what like what do you see happening in undisturbed births at this moment right is the yeah. what do moms normally do when nobody's telling them what to do okay um well the first piece of that scenario is that if a woman is being managed to push all right then um a certain wisdom says that she should be managed, maybe managed to be pushed all the way. Because if she's being managed, she may have lost touch with her instinctual urges to push. You see what I'm saying? So that then when the baby is there, she is like, well, uh, you, you know, what am I doing now? What do I do? Get the baby out. Okay. Right. And she Versus might someone. Through. Yeah. Yes. You see. Therefore, um, I, I feel like, well, if you're telling her to do this and telling her to do that, in order to protect her tissues, maybe it is a good idea now to tell her to slow down and go a little bit more gently, you know, um, because you have her perineum in your hands, as it were. So um, at home, what, what I usually see is that women, women take positions that can put the brakes on a labor or can speed up a labor, okay? And a woman knows whether she needs to to uh, slow it down or to um, speed it up, especially if she's moving on instinct, all right? And I'm there for reassurance. I'm not usually there to tell her, yes, you should do this or not, okay? I'm just kind of, she knows that if I'm there and I'm knitting a hat, then everything is fine. She's doing fine, okay? So she continues to move on to her instincts. And you'll see women stroking the uterine pacemakers sometimes as they move through labor, meaning that they're bringing on stronger contractions without being aware, actually, of that's what they're doing. You'll also see women put on the brakes, okay, when the baby is coming out. Why? Because, you, you know, if someone hands you a baby, you're not going to drop that baby, so this woman knows how much allowable torquage is necessary to bring her baby out gently, all right, without damage to her baby or her tissues. So you'll see women, sometimes women will put their hands there, all right? They'll just uh, put their hands there to kind of hold the baby, like, I got you, I got you, okay, hold on. Uh, and different, I, I, Basically, I see that when a woman is instinctual, we don't necessarily worry about, wow, she'll just blow out her baby. She'll just torpedo out the baby, okay, and, and sailing, it'll go sailing across the room. Uh, once again, instinctual breaks uh, that a woman knows how to implement in her labor. See, it all comes back to instinct. Mm -hmm. You see, when we take, when we disconnect a woman from her instincts, in many ways, we have to manage her. Yeah. You see, otherwise she's flailing. If you won't let her, you know, won't let her do what she wants to do, then you, you have to at least give her something. Yeah. All right? Yeah, yeah. So Especially... not that I'm in favor of that, no, right. but I'm also, yeah, wanting to go upriver, as you see, and stop interfering with her instincts. Yeah, so. and if you've gone, it makes sense. If you've gone that far and you've managed everything, she's not going to suddenly have the instinct to, you know, get up and move or do something if it's been or slow hours. it down yeah. Yeah. or know how yeah. even you see because it's all a flowing instinctual seamless um weaving there that she's in in her birth and um i want to mention something else too that uh 
when women have those premature urges to push, uh, like you were talking about sort of in the first scenario, okay, there was a lip and then she felt, but she felt like pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know that her baby's not being born, okay? So, I mean, if, she, if the baby is up there with a piece of cervix around the baby's head, we know that the baby is not ready to be born. So if a mother feels pushy or pushing like that, I usually say, so, so gentle, just gentle. Because how do I know that she doesn't need to give a tiny little nudge to the baby to kind of, to kind of push it against the cervix to help dilate it? You see, I don't know that. I don't know whether, oh, my God, if she pushes right now, she'll stretch the cervix and rip it. I don't know whether, but, but all I know is that she is instinctively feeling something. So we're going to explore that. And my exploration of if you feel like pushing and we know the baby's not there, gentle, gentle. Obviously, these are not the birthing, contra- you know, the contractions that are going to push your baby out. So just gentle. And as a doula, I feel like we can accommodate that, you know, uh, not stopping women from their instinctual um, experiences, but helping them modulate it, all right, gentle. If you feel like pushing, oh, just gentle, gentle. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the birth. It's not the birthing pushing, all right? And what you'll see sometimes is then, then a lot of that urge goes away because the uterus re- reorganizes mm. itself, you see? So right, we're not to like stop, help. stop, yeah. stop, but given the permission to like yes. get what it needed to get done and then move on. Yes, you see, because how do we know that the baby didn't need a tiny little nudge from above to, to help rotate, you see, mm-hmm. or to get extension going or to move that cervix. So I always follow the labor. Mm. I mean, I always follow the labor and work with what her instincts are and bring to bear on that any you know, experiences or any way that I have to facilitate what she wants to do. All right. Fantastic. So. Yes. And then, um, oh gosh, I was thinking that I had a scenario for you. Ah. <laughs> now I, I don't want to forget it though. Now, Cause you know how you get so excited in, in, in talking about these things. Yeah. I think I had a scenario for you. And um, maybe it was the one, maybe it was that one. Maybe it was the one where a woman was uh, wanting to push, but you knew because of your phys- your knowledge of physiology that birth is not imminent. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay. So how do you help? Then how do you help a woman as a, you know, as a birthing caregiver, how do you help a woman get a physiologic birth? So one of the things that I've found that is helpful is to make sure we talk about it in prenatals so that she kind of knows because so I not surprisingly with all this with the podcast and all the information centric reality that I live in I tend to attract clients that are very thinking and very type a that sense right Mm -hmm. like because we analyze things a lot right I do that I detract that makes sense so Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to tap into the instincts if you don't know why so during prenatals I make sure we talk about these things and I even pull the charts out 
and I tell them why. And I tell them, mm-hmm. you know, you, there might be a chance that your care provider is going to be probably do this. And so you can feel what you, you know, decide you have a choice. It's all in, like you are in the driver's seat. This is yours. You can decide where you go, where you not go. But but we, ta- we, we explain it in prenatals so that when the labor happens, we don't have to explain it which is great because mm-hmm. we don't want to think. But there's little things that we've already said that she knows what I mean if she's asking yeah. for that help. So I'll say, you know, go deeper. Mm-hmm. Right? And, I, and and she knows what I'm meaning by that. And it was, it's funny you're mentioning this because I had, um, I had one client who during, during pushing, she was very much having that involuntary feeling and, 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 and she was almost dry heaving because it, sometimes it can feel like your uterus is throwing up, but down when, mm-hmm. when you're having that mm-hmm. involuntary movement, right? It's like kind of that same idea. So she was having it and dry heaving at the same time. Um, and you could say, you could see that it was just her, like, she was just along for the ride of what her body was doing but mm-hmm. so she did about it, it baby was high up baby was, when when that started baby had been posterior so baby was like at plus one when all this started that she started having that involuntary movement of pushing and at one point she was like ah, oh, that felt a lot lower so I was like great I I know what that means. That means either rotation or extension. Like the, there was a mm-hmm. big movement there. That's what we yep. kind of were waiting for. Um, and and she had been doing this for an hour and a half, two hours. She was really tired, really exhausted. It had been exa- an exhausting labor. And the care provider that we had that w- there really wanted to direct the pushing. And and mom was getting really tired, so she was like, "Okay, well, I'm going to try it." And she kind of did it, half did it, because she wasn't completely holding her breath. She wasn't completely bringing, like, she wasn't exactly doing what this person wanted her to do, right? It was like a halfway. And Mm -hmm. then she did about 20 minutes of that, and she looked up at me. She's like, but now I feel like I have to work much harder. I thought my uterus was going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, well... Because now you're you are working much harder. Look, see if you can go deeper and see if if what that feels like. And so she, so it was almost like she had you know a seesaw. She was like, okay, I'll do more. I'll go deeper, more hormones. I can feel my uterus doing more work. I have to do less more. I can see that if I'm going into the thinking brain and going like I can see these hormones stopping. And now I got to work harder. Like she was definitely seesawing it. Right. Um, so it was beautiful to me to watch that. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm always. I love when you talk because I, I can see that you're always there to provide somebody what they need in that moment, and I love that. Okay. Um, I do. And uh, I think that's what she needed in that moment to be able to hear you say, "Go deeper," because. She might uh, feel like, well, this isn't really hooking up or, you know, she's not going to use the word I'm not aligned or, what, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. But going deeper. That's a that's a wonderful phrase. Adriana. I, I like that. I'm going to I'm going to use that. Oh. too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, because yeah. that's where that's where things happen. Right. It's internal. It's you, you go in, go in yeah. and see what you find. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, 
It's so much fun to talk to you, Wapio. I love every time you come on this show. Oh, thank you. I love it, too. I always love hearing you. And, um, you know, I love the fact that you are doing some critical thinking here about birth, you, you know, and just really revisiting some areas that, you know, I, I feel like it, it, it's for the good of all that mm-hmm. we revisit them. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I appreciate it. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vivace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. Hey, mighty one. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much Birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.